Hey everyone, great to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I have an ad, it's actually an ad for myself. Uh, it is to let you know that my new book is out. It's called Rest, Refocus, Recharge, A Guide for Optimizing Your Life, published by Harper Collins. Very, very excited about this. Took a long time to write and research and pull together. Um, it was super challenging, but I'm really happy with how where we landed on it. Basically, this is all came coming out of a place where when we did the ripple effect, it was great, but everyone would speak to me afterwards and be like, these ideas are awesome, but I'm just so busy, I don't have time. So what I wanted to do was to provide everyone with ideas for how to integrate these ideas about health, well-being, high performance into your life in a very, very easy, very, very um, tactical way that you can actually integrate. So for example, taking a couple of breaths to relax or to calm down if you're stressed, or what are some super healthy snacks that you can use in the middle of the day that are easy, cheap, and fast to make, or how do you take a great vacation uh, and completely disconnect? And then we grounded all of that in the latest science around neurophysiology and how the brain works to optimize creativity, learning, problem solving, and concentration. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're psyched to hear, learn more and to explore those ideas, I would be infinitely grateful if you wanted to pick up a copy of the book. It's available at Amazon in Canada and the States. Just search Greg Wells and Rest, Refocus, Recharge, and you'll find it. It's also on Indigo um, and all of the bookstores in Canada if you want to check that out. Uh, Neil Pasricha, the number one best-selling author of You Are Awesome, described it as a prescription for space in a world of noise. So really pleased to um, have had that little support moment from from Neil and he's been on the show if you want to check him out. So thanks for considering it. Really appreciate it. I'm really proud of the book. I know it's going to be super helpful for you. So if you want to pick up a copy, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of this podcast, my podcast, where I try to deconstruct world-class health, performance, well-being, and bring the latest science around all of that to you. And this week, on that note, we have Dr. Mark Mitchell from the University of Western Ontario. Uh, Mark is a assistant professor, and he is a specialist in behavioral change he did his PhD at the University of Toronto and a postdoctoral fellowship at the University Health Network. And he works in integrative biosciences and the psychological basis for kinesiology. He's really interested in studying health incentives and behavioral economics, physical activity promotion, and how you actually change behaviors to get healthier. He's applied that in cardiac rehabilitation and also in areas like e-health and mobile health and public health interventions. He's also worked at Carrot Insights, which created the hyper-successful Carrot Rewards app from which he learned an enormous amount. And he also works at the University of Health, uh, University Health Network in cardiovascular prevention and rehabilitation. So if you want to know more about how you actually change your behaviors to get healthier. Mark is your guy, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to bring him on the show. Uh, I did a quick podcast hit for his class live at you've 
UWO and uh, super excited that he agreed to come on the show and share some of insights with all of us. So no further delays. Let's dive right into the science of behavior change with Dr. Mark Mitchell. Mark, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. It's a pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your students a little while ago. How did that, how did that go over what they think? Um, well, three or four of them want to have coffee with you, but I've been, <laughs> I've been acting as a bit of a filter. For that. <laughs> uh, but they were, yeah, they were excited just to hear about your story and your path and how it's not just about getting into physiotherapy or medicine. You know? Yeah, cool. And so the teaching that you're doing at University of Western Ontario is based around what at the moment? Like, what are those students in your classroom learning? What are you excited about teaching? I teach primarily chronic disease prevention and management. Um, and the class you spoke in was an entrepreneurship class, which is kind of an offshoot. Um, but it's just trying to get the students to think differently about how they can apply what they've learned in class um, in an entrepreneurial setting. You know, it doesn't have to be in a hospital. They can do a lot of you can develop a lot of amazing programs and, and products and services that can help um, in that regard. So, yeah. Very cool. And what are the, some of the things that they're doing with kinesiology and where, where are some of them going? Like what, what are some of the interesting things that you see them doing uh, in terms of taking that knowledge and actually making, uh, creating things in the world that might actually be able to help people? Uh, well, this is the second year I've taught it. Uh, last year, there were, there were a few really good um, business ideas and business plans that emerged. One of them is doing particularly well. And really, she just she developed um, a hairband for high-performance female athletes um, that is, is better than anything else on the market. And it'll ensure that you know hair doesn't become loose during the last 100 meters of a rowing sprint or a marathon or, or whatever. So she's doing really well with that. She just won a big um, Ivy Business School competition, got 15K in her bank account. Now she can invest that back into the business. I'm just doing some marking now on some of the business plans that are um, that about halfway done so far this semester. Um, and what are some good ones? Oh, they're, they're all interesting. It's really neat to see what they come up with. Uh, the best one, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't pick one right off the top. That's of right. I'll pop in your head at two o'clock in the morning and yeah. we can jump back on the call and figure it out. But yeah, I think it's super interesting that you're helping these students uh, leverage their knowledge and to try to make a difference in the world, which is just fantastic. How did you get into kinesiology? What's your backstory and, and how did you land it at Western? Um, so I phys ed degree at Queens University. Um, then I did my master's while I was playing um, in the CFL, the Canadian Football League, um, at the University of Victoria and playing for the Stampeders in Calgary. Um, and then, yeah, worked for the Lung Association for a couple years in Nova Scotia. Um, started my PhD at U of T with some of your former colleagues, Guy Faulkner, Jack Goodman, those wonderful guys. Um, and then did a postdoc at Toronto Rehab, working in cardiac rehab. And now studying behavior modification, you know, and specifically can we use digital tools or, or like tiny, tiny financial incentives to motivate people to exercise. Because it's interesting, even, even for people who literally died, you know, had like had a cardiac arrest and came back to life, still difficult for them to engage in those healthy lifestyle behaviors that we try to promote, you know, so that was kind of that. And then, yeah, just applied for a job to teach clinical kinesiology at Western. I've been here for a couple of years now. Very cool. Let's dig into that story about someone almost dying and yet not making 
the change. Uh, so I got a heart infection back in 2012 and I was in the cardiac ward for a few days and the gentleman next to me was clearly not doing very well. And I was watching him and, you know, obviously I wasn't perfect because I was in the cardiac ward at the time. I was like, I think I can actually cure because he was eating like garbage. Um, like he was eating all the foods that cause heart disease, which is, you know, what they serve you in, in the, in the hospital, um, not moving. Uh, like he basically just like given up. And I was like, I actually think I could save this guy. Like I could get this person back to a hundred percent health if they just got moving, if they just started eating well, if he just shifted his attitude towards positivity. And yet, and again, I was not perfect <laughs> in that environment. Like I, I should, I was in no position to give anyone any, any lectures at that point. But um, I just think it's interesting that sometimes people make changes and sometimes people don't. And I, I would love to know how do we help people make the right decisions at the right time, given everything that we know these days. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a big question. I think I think it's very. Uh, I think the answer is very individual. Um, the medical director at our at our facility at Toronto Rehab would always would often say, congratulations, you had a heart attack. Because for a lot of people, it was the stimulus that they needed, you know? But, but for some, it's, it still wasn't enough. And I just, I think that speaks to how hard it is to change behavior, especially healthy lifestyle behaviors, where it's the sort of thing that you kind of have to do most days in order to reap the benefits. You know, so uh, we could talk about this for hours and days, but uh, one thing that I've been talk- thinking and writing about a lot lately is the shorter term benefits. And I noticed in, in some of your um, you know, social media posts, you do, you do highlight some of those. And we haven't done that historically, I don't think. It's like historically, it's been like, okay, do your exercise and cut your risk of you know, a heart attack 37 years from now. <laughs> yeah, know? totally. Um, and yet there's so many amazing short term benefits that will keep people coming back, you know, to a healthy lifestyle or an active lifestyle, like better sleep, lower stress, uh, mood boosts. You know, I was just teaching the other day about how, how you can expect mood boost by just standing, you know, what that's cool. Tell me about that. That's, that's super interesting. (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of us sit, sit, um, at work. Um, and by increasing the number of times you stand over the course of the day or move around a little bit, um, you'll, you'll see, uh, you'll notice mood boosts and, and happiness and like your, your, you know, le- level of vigor, you know, and, and that sort of thing. I like the happiness as an outcome though. So like jet, basically the more you stand, the happier you'll be. And it's hard cause your built environment kind of discourages it, you know, with the big heavy desks that th- doesn't necessarily go up and down, but you can buy cheap, um, uh, standing desks that you can use, you know, at your office and they're as cheap as, you know, 15 bucks or you can make your own kind of thing, you know? So there is a little bit of like MacGyvering required in order to incorporate some of that standing. Um, but, but it can, it can have a big short term impact. And I guess that's what I'm trying to talk about a lot now. Yeah. I think that the shift, the, the one thing that seems to be working interestingly enough on all of my social media is like a big giant laboratory is the 1% tips. And when you give people like 1% of your day, here's something you can do. It's 15 minutes long, super straightforward, very, very easy, minimally invasive. People really like that um, little tiny thing that you can do that makes it consistent, that if you do it consistently, it makes a difference. 
Oh, is that what the 1% is? 15 minutes is 1% of your 24 hours? Yeah, isn't that cool? And the other one that is mind-blowing is 20 calories is 1% of your, about 1% of your nutrition. So if you shifted yeah. nutrition, 1%, literally 20 calories, like a packet of sugar over time, that's enough to lose a couple pounds. You do that over 10 years, you lose 20 pounds. And all of a sudden, instead of being in chronic obesity, yeah. you're, you're getting yourself into a good place. So it's, I, I think the micro tips seem to be resonating with people yeah. the best. Yeah. Okay. Can I, can I just add to that? So two things. Oh, one, I'm yeah, steal, do it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to steal that. Um, number one, it, it's the whole, it's the whole thing about setting, helping people set very realistic goals. You know, the notorious New Year's, New Year's, um, New Year's resolutions, you know, to, to exercise five times a week or whatever, or even to like focus on weight as an outcome. You know, it's so unrealistic for so many people, but these behaviors like 20 fewer calories or 15 more minutes of standing or moving a little bit, they're very realistic. And then you kind of build from there, you know? So like the, the physical activity guidelines, as you know, they say 150 minutes of exercise a week. So 30 minutes, five times a week. And that's what we've been telling people. But that's just, that's, it's unrealistic, especially when you think about Canadians. Most Canadians are walking fewer than 5,000 steps a day, you know, so to ask them to do eight or 10,000 steps. So to double it is an insane request and we're setting them up to fail. Yeah. So in, instead asking them to do 1% more or, or when it comes to walking like five minutes more, like that's, that actually sounds reasonable, you know, and people can actually do that. And in fact, in terms of physical activity, you get the most bang for your buck when you get somebody who does absolutely nothing moving wise to doing just a little bit. So I call it like the zero to 60, you know, if you can go from zero minutes a week to maybe 60, but we'll settle for 30, then you're doing wonderful, amazing things for your health. Even if that, those changes don't necessarily show up on, you know, the limited vocabulary of a scale, you know, a hundred percent. And anyway. like that, I could not agree with you more on that one. Like, and you're talking about these massive gains for people on these very little, uh, microscopic shifts. And, the biggest gains for, for people actually come when you just start doing things. So you could be, have done nothing for 20 years. And if you start walking five minutes a day, you're going to get exponential results. And it's five minutes a day, like walk, that's it. Now it's so, so, so easy if you're consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not easy. So linking with people who have an idea about this sort of thing, um, you know, like your physician, I guess, would be a good place to start. But then there's also kinesiologists and dietitians in Ontario who are extremely highly trained, you know, and they can give you lots of wonderful advice and help sort of guide you to make decisions that make sense for you. You know, I had a guest speaker in the other day who's a kinesiologist at a family health team in, in Ottawa, and she was talking about how she she sort of ends her her initial interview with some sort of a, like a values question. So what's important to you? You know, like is climate change important to you? Um, so let's talk about how we can get you more active and help contribute or, you know, uh, contribute to the, the fighting against climate change at the same time, you know? So that, that value-based um, like interview style, I think is, is pretty neat as well. That is. And I, I like that you brought up climate change because, Obviously, the foods that we eat have an impact on our climate and sustainable choices make a difference. And uh, the style of agriculture that's used to grow our food makes a difference when it comes to climate change. So um, it is all linked. We are part of nature. We are animals. And when we return to nature and we return to a, a more sustainable 
style of living. I think that ultimately, it, ultimately, I think that's the solution to this climate change challenge that we're that we're faced with. I don't even like calling it climate change. It's actually global warming um, that we're that we're yeah. faced with, and um, you know, climate change being the the political term to make it less less concerning for people. Um, in order to make sure that people don't actually make any changes. So I prefer global warming, but uh, you know, when we make good decisions around food and agriculture and, and transportation, I think that ultimately we end up in a, a much, much better place and it, it all comes together and the world and the, the, our, our planet gets healthier in addition to, to us uh, individuals as well. Totally. Yeah. That, that whole climate change terminology is a lesson in behavior change right there. Really? So give me your take on it. So as a behavioral change expert, like what's your take on that terminology and how people are expressing it? Well, I mean, I, I've really done a deep dive into um, trying to figure out, can we pay people to be healthier? That's kind of been the focus of my research. Yeah. And the, the theoretical foundation of that is, is behavioral economics, which is, uh, you know, Nobel Prize winning theory. Um, one of the you know, lead scientists won the Nobel Prize about two years ago for their work in behavioral economics. And basically, uh, behavioral economics is sort of like it's the make it easy, easier theory. And, um, and it talks about choice architecture. So how can we design choice environments? So not just built environments, but choice environments, so that people make um, better decisions, you know, so they're healthier or wealthier or happier kind of thing. So the words that we use, the, how we frame things can actually make a massive difference on the decisions people make. And so it was George Bush's administration, right? I, uh, I came up with climate change stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, they were bang on cause they, I mean, they're, you know, historically, well, we don't want to get into all this stuff, do we? Uh, but but from a scientific perspective, it's fine. And I've voted on both sides of the aisle and like in Canada, conservative and liberal, like I'm agnostic to, to politics. I just seek to extract what you can learn from it as an example of behavioral modification and in, in, in language. So don't worry yeah. about like where it goes. I just, I'm just interested in it. And you know, we can, we can chat um, in terms of like when you alter your language, how does that affect your behavior? Yeah. That's totally fine. Like that's just, that's your area of research. So I, I'm fascinated. I'd love okay. to learn more. Yeah. Well, here, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll try to come back to my camp so I don't overstep my boundaries. Um, so there's a lot of cool, like can we pay people to, uh, to exercise, quit smoking, lose weight research. A lot of big companies in the States are doing it. Big insurance companies and more and more in Canada are doing it. I helped develop um, the Carrot Rewards app, which rewarded Canadians with scene points and petrol points and aeroplan points for um, engaging in those like microscopic healthy behaviors. Um, and, um, and there's some interesting research that informed the design of that app. For example, if you give somebody 30 bucks to exercise every day, right? So you're going to give them a dollar a day. So you tell them, I'm going to give you a dollar every day you go to the gym or $10 or whatever it is. The amount doesn't matter. Or, so that's like a positive frame. Or you can frame it negatively and say, okay, here's 30 bucks up front. Every day you don't go to the gym, um, I'm going to ask for a dollar or $10 back. And that works like 20, 30% better in terms of stimulating exercise behaviors. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's the same, it's the same amount in the, at the end of the month, right? But just how it's framed can make a big difference on people's behavior. Um, and so I think, I think it's Manulife. Um, they've got a pro, uh, what is it called? Yeah. Vitality. Manulife's vitality program. Have you heard about that? Um, I have, but explain for everyone listening for sure. 
Okay, so they it's it's a health and it's a digital health and wellness platform, and and they give you rewards for doing certain things. And, and one of the uh, one of the things they do is they'll give you an expensive, um, I think it's an Apple Watch, um, and for free, right? But you have to hit certain personalized um, daily step targets in order to not have to pay it back, you know. So I think they do it monthly. So you you have to have a monthly daily step count average. If you don't meet that, then you're on the hook for that monthly payment. You know, so they've kind of incorporated that that um, loss framing into into the design of that program. So it's interesting how some of this stuff trickles into the real world, you know, and and it's really exciting to see because it doesn't always happen. I would say usually these digital health and wellness programs that employees have access to are not evidence based and don't include some of these cool like little tweaks that can actually make a big difference in terms of behavior change. What other cool techniques have you seen that? trigger people to improve their behaviors because you have as you mentioned some experience with the carrot rewards app and in the mobile space and we're launching an app soon so i'm actually uh, i'm asking very um selfishly like what do, what what seems to work so um what other tweaks yeah. in terms of language or delivery or actions have you seen that helps that help people to to make better decisions well in, in terms of the, in terms of like apps and, and digital digital um, wellness solutions. I think, I think what's really important is uh, engagement. It's like, it's like giving somebody uh, blood pressure medication. You wouldn't expect their blood pressure to go down if they didn't take it. Right. Right. So like that dose is important. So the dose of the app or the digital intervention is important. So you have to design it in a way that'll keep people coming back, mm. you know, and there's a thousand ways you could do it you, and you don't want to throw everything in the kitchen sink at people either. So you kind of want to find that balance between, uh, you know, what's enough, but you don't want to confuse or overwhelm people either. Um, with the carrot rewards app, we had, unreal engagement uh, and people would say well it's because you were paying people to use it <laughs> which i guess is true but we were paying people one cent two cents a day you know what i mean like very very little amounts five or ten dollars over the course of the year right to engage in healthy behaviors you know so so the other things that i think really drove engagement with that app were um, individualized goals that adapted over time so we started off by individualizing uh, like daily step goals for people and then they kind of grow from there as they succeed. But we quickly, quickly realized that we needed those goals to adapt with big life events or changing seasons, you know? So every six months, somebody's going to go through a divorce or a job loss or promotion or like new season or injury, you know? So the physical activity goals need to adapt to those. Mm -hmm. So those adaptive goals, I think, really helped um, adaptive and, and individualized goals um, as well as the rewards. And I guess the other thing is with smartphones these days, I mean, we, we might take it for granted, but like every smartphone has a built-in accelerometer in it now, right? And that's, that's only news in the last, you know, five years, four years kind of thing. So now we've got like 90% of Canadian adults who are walking around with an accelerometer, like a motion sensor in their phones. And we can use that data, people who develop apps or whatever can use that data to help people set realistic goals, link them with similar others, um, reward them provide feedback, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so I guess those are three things I would say. Um, personalization, feedback in the form of rewards or otherwise, and just make it as, as easy as possible. Because if you have friction in, in any any way at all, um, then people are going to delete it, you know? And I yeah. could talk about this for days, and I've got six more things I want to say, but I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. So if we were to build a structure, like let's say someone's listening to this, like, okay, I want to get in shape. 
Um, I've got an Apple Watch. I got a Fitbit. I got a phone. Whatever. What would you say would be a great process that you would recommend that people follow to create successful behavior change over a long period of time? So that maybe might be. Um, I want to start running. You're going to become um, a runner and finish a, a 10k in a year. Or I would like to lose five pounds or change my percent body fat or even more importantly, and probably like one of the best goals to get out would be, I just want to be happier. How would I be able to do that over a long period of time? So if we wanted to craft this scientifically, how would someone listening engineer that for themselves? And what would be some factors that they should consider to try to make that trajectory shift in their life successfully where let's face it, the vast majority of people that try to make those changes fail. So what helps us get on an upwards trajectory or what would you recommend or what's a process that people could follow that might be able to make them, make them successful at doing those sorts of things? Uh, okay. Super uh, long-winded question, by the way. So I, I guess I'll, I'll answer with a really short sentence. Uh, yeah. And I'll borrow a word from one of my colleagues here, Eva Pila. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll use the word compassion. Um, be, be compassionate with yourself. Um, and, and, and what does that mean? Like practically speaking is like, um, uh, just, just don't expect, um, don't, don't, um, don't expect, not, I was going to say, don't expect too much of yourself, but that's not, that's not what I mean to say. What I mean to say is, is don't set unrealistic goals for yourself. Very cool. And, real, and we kind of talked about that a little bit already. And how and use and use these amazing devices and and pick programs that are that personalize goals um, for you and that are very realistic. You know, and you feel are realistic and are likely to increase your confidence to continue to do the, to do these things. And yeah, you know, and ignore maybe the short term. Um, yeah, just just make make realistic goals. You know, um, I guess is it. So there's a. Sort of convoluted. Answer. No, I like it because the idea of being compassionate with yourself is a pretty powerful one. And I, I know you've been just great. Um, she's some really interesting research as part of her PhD. So I'm psyched to hear that you know you guys have connected over at Western. And that idea of being compassionate to yourself is key. That leans into the idea of self-acceptance, which has come up many times on this podcast. And that if you accept the fact that you are where you are, and you know, we're not judging, we're not critiquing ourselves. We're not being hard on ourselves. We're just simply charting a course forwards. And that course forwards doesn't need to be go do an Ironman. It might be like, let's just be, let's just get active every day for a couple months and see how I feel. Yeah. Um, and that actually puts you on a much more powerful trajectory than, and a consistent trajectory than uh, another different set of goals that might be a lot harder, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? Like you're thinking, I've got to do this. So this is Greg's brain working typically. Like I got to do this. I'm going to go do something crazy. I'm going to train a ton. But the reality is that when it comes down to it on a day-to-day -day basis, all I need to do is go to the gym and just make progress. And if I do that, then yeah. everything tends to work out really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. My, my uh, office neighbor here, um, Dave Humphreys, he's, um, He's our undergraduate chair and he's, he's, he takes part in these like stepping, stepping challenges and he's competing against people all over the world kind of thing. And, um, and he's got these goals, you know, that these sort of health goals that are really hard to budge. And I told, and I asked them to promise me amongst other things, do not step on the scale until March 1st. 
you know, just, just focus on doing those evening walks because that's what he likes to do. Um, and, and who cares whether that number on the scale changes or not? Let's see, let's see how you feel then, you know, and he's doing great. And he's, the other day he told me he's, he's got one or two notches off of his belt size, you know, and he's, he really wants to jump on the scale because that's one of his big goals. But I'm just asking, I'm just telling him like, let's just focus on these behaviors that you can actually control and, and ignore those outcomes that are super hard to change for a number of reasons, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned something in passing there, like do the stuff that you love to do. He loves the evening walk. Just do the, what you love. And isn't that something that I think we can leverage into as well when it comes to helping people get onto a different trajectory? It's that you don't need to go to the gym if you hate going to the gym. You can go for a walk. I love being on my paddleboard. Um, that's easy for me to get motivated to go out and do. Uh, I do not love some other forms of, of exercise, which I know are amazing for me. Hot yoga is awesome, but I'd much rather be out of my paddleboard on the lake. So I think that might be something to lean into as well. Yeah, totally. And, and try to make it social if you can. You know, not everybody's into that, but the more social you can make it, the more likely you are to maintain it long-term. You know, the research really does support that. Can you this, talk about that a little bit more? Because that's really interesting. I believe so strongly in that, but like, can you dig into that a bit? Because I think that's powerful. Well, uh, one of my master's students were just preparing a, like an evaluation of a, of a something right now. And, and it was, it was trying to incorporate social connectedness in a digital environment. One of the first times this has really been evaluated like rigorously, you know, and what we found, what we're finding is that if you can connect people with pre-existing connections online and get them to do things together, as opposed to maybe connecting people anonymously, um, you're more likely to boost change. In fact, um, for every new, we call these things step together challenges on the carrot, carrot rewards app. Every time they participated in this like two person challenge together, we saw a 200 step increase in you know, a daily step increase, you know, and then so they participated 10 times. Then we saw a 2000 step increase um, on average, you know, so that social relatedness is really important. I like to talk about this stuff um, and I, I use the analogy, the motivation mountain. And I won't name the theory, but um, there's a theory. I First time I talked about this, I think people uh, in the front row fell asleep. So I decided to change the way I talk about it. And so I came up with Motivation Mountain. And basically, this theory says if you can do three things, you'll move yourself up Motivation Mountain. So in other words, you'll, you'll get closer to the top where things like eating healthy and exercise you do because you just love doing it. Like you love listening to music, you know. And what are those things? Those things are... Um, autonomy. So maintaining people's autonomy. So don't force them to do anything. Um, number two is um, self-efficacy or confidence. Get them to do things and uh, ex have those mastery experiences, you know, so to build their confidence. And then the third really important thing to move people up the mountain is an increased feelings of social relatedness and try to connect people and get them to do things that are fun. This reminds me of this choices and changes workshop I took when I was working at Toronto rehab and, and working with cardiac rehab patients in particular. And you don't want, you don't want to be overly prescriptive, right? Like you need to get to the gym or you need to run or whatever, but instead a much more effective approach is to ask people what they've done in the past or what they enjoy doing and try to get them to do more of that. You know, like I had women who walk, who loved walking around the basement in their church, you know, or I had, um, I mean, all, all kinds of, of things, you know, and you only really discover with a good, wholesome conversation with somebody. So I guess the take home is just think about your past and what you've done, what you've done in the past and try to do more of that, you know? 
Yeah, that's great. How can we leverage wearable tech in all of these devices that we have? I'm a huge fan. Um, I've brought this up in the past and um, some of the reaction back has been like, yeah, but people use them for a while and then they put them away. My counter is like 85% of people don't get enough physical activity to prevent a chronic disease. So even if only a third of the people use them for a while and keep them, that's still like double uh, you know, the general population in terms of their, you know, us actually doing something. So that's a huge win, but how can people leverage wearable tech? Like what would your recommendations be around how to best use a Fitbit or a whoop or an Apple watch or, or some of these apps, given that that's your area of, of research? Um, I guess I would, I would start by saying, um, for the general population, I kind of like the smartphone as your physical activity device. Simply because I think you're you're less likely to uh, to not use your smartphone than you are not use a a, a wearable that you kind of you have to charge separately and, and mm. kind of think about separately. Whereas the smartphone is your hub. Uh, and there's a study by a colleague of mine out of UPenn last week that came out. He's talking about how um, I think it's post hospitalization. I think he was a cardiac population. Maybe people are much more likely to be using a smartphone as the sort of like their um, their motivator um, than a wearable device because um, there's the wearable device I think adds a little bit of friction too right and the best example is just charging it you have to charge it separately and the the, the, the smart watches are a little bit different but the the more traditional Fitbits and stuff they're just it's just another thing that you have to worry about um, so just like big population scale and considering that 90% of Canadians already have a smartphone let's use those you know what I mean right on um, in terms of the the device, like the wearables and the apps and that sort of thing, um, I just think what I look for primarily is: are we are, is the app or the device helping you set um, personal goals, right? And you're getting feedback, uh, like pretty pretty uh, short term, immediate feedback on those goals. So regarding physical activity in particular, and I think I think that's what I I think that's what I see sort of in the marketplace. How about you? What do you think? Um, that's interesting. I love using my Apple watch to track workouts. So I have now literally just, I use it for working out. I use it for running and I I take it off otherwise. So I now only use it for working out and as an alarm. I love my phone on my bike because I have to take it with me if I'm on the bike, because if you crash and you call someone, it's good to have. But so I use Strava on my phone uh, so I'm sort of using those two things, although I am leaning very heavily towards actually getting rid of my watch. Uh, I just find it to be annoying with the notifications and I hate getting distracted. And sometimes I forget to turn off the notifications. So for example, I was up doing a keynote the other day and my watch buzzed on my arm as I was speaking. It was just a micro distraction. No one knew, no one saw it, but it just bugged me a little bit. Uh, so I'm actually leaning back towards um, using a, a mechanical uh, watch uh, but I, I, I think it's cool because like I have a, on my watch, I've got an accelerometer, I've got a GPS, I've got a phone, I've got music, I've got a heart, you know, like everything that I need, heart rate variability, uh, sleep monitoring, like everything that I need to get, do what I need to do when it comes to health. I also think that tracking will help you if you do um, use it. And the gap that I see right now is that a lot of the apps that are out there do not give you any individualized recommendations. So um, blatant self-promotion, the app that we're building in my, my company right now called Vivio is geared towards collecting your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset information 
running it through an algorithm that we've written uh, to give you individualized daily recommendations that adopts on a daily basis to give you what you need to do today to get healthier. So for example, yesterday, and it's built around the 1% concept. So if yesterday you did 3000 steps, we're not going to say you need to do 10. We're going to be like, how about 3,300 and track that and, and give you some props when you actually get that done. So we're, I believe going down the road of a lot of the things that you've been describing and trying to build that. Um, I think we have to use technology. The technology that we have on our wrists right now is absolutely incredible. It just, I think we have to use it in a way that helps us and doesn't take us away from what's important in life. So hence my use of my watch um, as a workout tracking device and generally taking it off when I'm not there. Uh, but yeah, that's the approach that we're taking. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I just I've got I've got four kids and limited budget right now, so I've refrained from the smartwatch. Um, that's that's my. Yeah, so I don't I don't know as much about it. You as just gotta eat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, enough. But but it's, it's like even you like you're like a you're a high performance kind of a guy, and even you're talking about how potentially the phone is enough, you know. And I just really like that. And you don't even need to really download any new health apps. Like the Health Kit app will give you your daily step count average for February. And back to your point, like, let's just do maybe 500 more steps, which is equal to about five minutes of walking. And that's it for the month of February, you know, and then try to, and then see what your new, your new average is, you know, and then you can bump it up another 500 steps in March. You know, there's a lot of different organizations that promote that kind of, you know, uh, like escalating, like step count type approach, which, which I really like. And yeah, it's just the other thing about the tracking is uh, there's like a hundred behavior change techniques, you know, um, that have been sort of defined and, and self-monitoring or tracking is consistently the one that is uh, most effective. So if you can encourage people to track what they do, you're, you're more than halfway there. Oh, really? That's super interesting. I actually didn't know that. So if you track what you're interested, obviously, I mean, makes sense from a business perspective. If you want to improve a metric, you track that metric and you'll figure out how to improve it. So I guess that applies to um, behavior change as well. Very interesting. I've got a few questions for you that I ask everybody. So I'll throw this out and um, see where we land. Do you have any routines, tactics, meals, other strategies that you use before big performance events, like teaching a class, or if you're doing some sort of sporting event, or if you've got four kids and you're just trying to survive the weekend, like, or something that you've seen coming out of um, the, the rehab areas that you've worked, any routines, tactics, things that oh. you think can help people get set up to be successful at whatever it is that they're doing? Um, hmm. I'm at, um, so I'm at Western and, I, and I'm lucky because I can walk about, you know, 150 meters um, to the gym or whatever it is here. Um, so my routine, and this is, this is 95%. The reason why I go is to, to boost my mental health, um, is to after class walk before I come back to the office and sort of, you know, get overwhelmed by emails, just walk, uh, walk to the gym, ride the bike for 20, 25 minutes, do a stretch and come back. And if I can do that three times a week, I'm having an amazing week. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better employee. And it's sort of like, in the moment, it's like at the expense of my work, you know what I mean? But the unintended consequence is that I'm actually better at work and, and everywhere else. So it's almost like I have to convince myself almost on a daily basis. No, like this is good for you. You know what I mean? And things are going to be better than you stand, sitting in front of the computer for an extra 45 minutes today. Yeah. And so it's interesting that even you who like, this is your research, this is your life. You're in 
kinesiology as a prof, you've still got to convince yourself almost on a daily basis to get to the gym and to do what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got like, I, and I, th- I think I'm, I think I'm fairly high up on that motivation mountain. Like it's, it is part of who I am and, and, and that sort of thing. So in that sense, it's a little bit easier than probably than most, but there's still a lot of that self-talk going on, you know? Yeah. Interesting. And that self-talk is so powerful. I've talked, I've had that come up so many times on this show. Um, who are you reading or following or learning from at the moment? Like who's got your attention? Who's doing great work in your space? If people want to dig into this a little bit deeper, you know, where can we help people direct their attention if they're, if they're interested and you know, who's got your, your ear at the moment? Um, a wonderful uh, MD PhD. Um, uh, his name's Mitesh Patel. He does a lot of um, wearable device motivation rewards type work um, and behavioral economics type work in, in a healthcare setting as well. So, like, how can we reduce the number um, of physicians who prescribe opio- opioids and that sort of thing by designing a, a choice architecture in a way that promotes those things? Um, so he's he's a, he's a wonderful guy. Actually, he was he just won. Uh, it's like something something practitioner at this big behavioral economics conference in the UK uh, just a few months ago. Uh, so he's a real go-getter. Yeah. Really, really great guy too. Right on. So we've all had turning points in our life. Um, you know, critical moments, whether they're sports games, job interviews, moments with your kids, when things can go up, down, sideways, forwards, backwards. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that in the rehab Institute, you know, people have had heart attacks and that's their moment, right? Um, but sometimes people go up and recover and get onto a good trajectory. Sometimes people struggle and actually get worse in those moments. Given that you're into behavior change and I assume that you're interested in that, that uptick, that inflection point, uh, anything that you have experienced yourself in those moments that has helped you to go on the right trajectory or anything that you have seen from others around you that has, you know, been consistent or a pattern that you're seeing emerge. Uh, I'm just curious if you've got any insights on, on that inflection point concept. Yeah. So it's like a, like a critical window where something important happens and sort of changes things for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Um, changes things for the better or for the worse? Well, either. Um, ideally, what I would like to know is, you know, in those critical windows, and I like that term that you use, critic, the critical window idea. Like in that moment, for some people, you have those critical moments and you actually like change. You have a heart attack and you fix your nutrition. Yeah. Other people have the heart attack and get worse. They don't change and nothing happens and they end up, you know, passing away. It's tragic. And it might be something as, as simple as, you know, the way that you're interacting with your kids as well, up until a certain point, you know, something works and there's a critical moment and you decide, no, that's not working. I got to go in a different direction. Or it could be for you personally in terms of your mindset. I'm just, I'm curious about those moments in our lives when something happens and you, you realize in hindsight that that did happen. Here's what I did. And it moved me on this different you know, I, I went right instead of left and right was the good choice, ideally. Although, you know, as someone else, Sarah Thompson was just on the show and she said, well, there's been a few, there's been a few left turns as well. And I was like, yeah, of course we all have done those. But yeah, that, that inflection point fascinates me. And in, in from a behavior change concept, um, I'm curious what your, what your take on it is, if any, and there might, no, there might not be one. Uh, 
Man, Greg, that's a wonderful question. And I, I, got, I just quickly jotted down three little things, but I'm sure I could come up with, with better ones tonight at 2 a.m. But okay, so this is what I have. So was, so let's say about 10 years ago, this is after my, my football career as a linebacker, you know, so like totally injury prone. So a couple of years after that, I was doing these light and snappy uh, power cleans at the gym in Halifax where I was living at the time. And, um, and I heard a pop and I had, and then, you know, got an MRI 18 months later or whatever it was, and then had three herniations in my back, which really impacted my ability to do the things that I really like to do. You know, I'd started to jog. I learned how to row when I was doing my master's in Victoria and I couldn't do those things anymore. So I guess what I've learned in my short time on this earth now regarding like physical activity is that you kind of have to evolve because these injuries, you know, they're very common and they negative and you have to be able to adapt and and do some different things, you know? So now I'm, I'm primarily cycling or swimming and, and I don't do some of the other things, you know, I discovered that I could play hockey again and it's actually a really low impact sport, you know, as long as I don't fall, which I do most games. Um, so so there's, there's that one. Another one is my kids. Uh, when my kids a couple of years ago, I just, I noticed I was starting to lose my temper a lot with them, you know? And I also find um, that on the days that I exercise, I, I don't, or I don't as much, you know? So that's, I mean, my kids are, it's just, you know, I like everybody. They're everything to me. And, and, and if I can just put 20 minutes in on the bike and be like in a, like a much better dad at the end of the day with them or on the weekend, then, then that's, that's a wonderful motivator too. So I, I won't tell you about the last one, but those are, those are the two I came up with. All right. You're welcome to mention the last one. It's all good. This is like, this is all gold. So it's, it's cool. Yeah, um, it's the last one. Um, it doesn't, uh, but, 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 but. you know what? This is sort of like a mindfulness um, kind of a thing. Got it. Uh, uh, we'll save that for our next one. <laughs> but go, but go for it. Go for it. No, no, it's good. Keep going. Oh, keep no. going. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, you had me at applying for a job because that's everyone listening is like, oh, no, been there too. So, okay, I'm interested. Yeah. Fired up. Applying for a job. Actually, this has happened a couple of times, um, two times in particular. Applying for a job, really wanted it, didn't get it tons of self-doubt you know and then my mom who my mom who's very wise she's like mark you know a lot of people would have just sort of folded you know um but you didn't and that's good you know that's pre that's pretty much it and so that that just sort of keeps me going when, when i'm trying to when i'm struggling through the trials and tribulations of you know work life and all that stuff yeah isn't it cool how your mom moms always have that ability to say very specific things at the right time that, that with that with that that deep love in in it embedded so that's kind of cool and it's interesting that, that continues to resonate with you yeah so final question what's the what is one thing that you would recommend some of the audience listening to this podcast do or try like what would you think would be something that would be interesting for people to experiment with or do that's new or or something you would recommend in general for people just to experiment with or to move forwards with or to, to try out that's that might be beneficial for them in their lives um health and wellness wise anything at all like we've had such crazy answers to this one so i'm 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 yeah. like wide open whatever you want uh my creative juices aren't flowing but i will say this and this this applies particularly i think to to younger population but but also also you know middle older age too is um you know, don't look at your phone um, before. Don't bring your phone in your room. There's my, there it is. Yeah. Do not have your 
your phone or device in your room. Preferably try to give yourself 30 minutes off before you head to bed, but at the very least, um, don't use it as your alarm clock, mm, which, is, which is interesting because all the students I teach now in university, guess what they use as their alarm clock, which is and kind of foreign to me because, yeah, as their phone. So they're, they're checking the, and their, their sleep and their mental health suffers as a result. It's funny, so, I make a joke sometimes, yeah. like, you know, there's these incredible things you can order actually on your phone. Um, they're, they're, they're called alarm clocks, they, and all they do is wake you up. And people are like, <laughs> that's what? all. They, isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's, it's the only thing they do. They, they only wake you up in the morning. That's it. And they can also tell you the time. That's, that's it. Yeah. Um, Mark, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that to learn more about your research and what you're up to and, and get connected? Um, I guess um, email, I'm, I'm trying to stay off Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, so email email and LinkedIn are probably the best. Um, cool. Mark with a C dot Mitchell at uwo.ca. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Tons of awesome insights. Honored to have you take the time out of your very busy schedule to, to come hang out with us. I really appreciate it. Right back at you, Greg. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that. Mark's awesome and really psyched that he took the time to come on the show and Man, there's just so much you can take away there with regards to how to actually make these changes. How do you eat better? How do you sleep better? How do you move more? How do you fix your mindset? And Mark's got the research background to help us understand that and make it happen, as well as how to integrate some, maybe some external rewards to help spark you to get through some difficult times. So super appreciative, Mark, for coming on the show. Thank you. If you want to check him out or get in touch with him, you can go to the School of Kinesiology's website at University of Western Ontario, and all of his contact information is there. So thanks, Mark, for being on the show. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes. That is very, very helpful. If you want to give us a review, even more helpful. And if you want to comment on social, we'd greatly appreciate it. All of my social are at Dr. Greg Wells. So... Appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you again really, really soon.